Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of AZA's Bear Tag. My name is Emily, and along with Lisa, we're so excited to be joining you and talking about all things bear. Today, we're talking more about what education initiatives the Bear Tag is working on and why education in conjunction with animal programs is so important. To talk to us more about that, we have Jen Charette and Katie Mannion here with us today. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Before we dive a little bit deeper, let's hear more about you guys and how you got started in the zoo field and if you have any favorite bears. Jen, would you like to start? Sure. So I'm Jen Charette. I'm the Zoo Community Impact Manager for the Zoo Division at GLMB Architecture. And my first job in zoos was actually as an AmeriCorps member at Roger Williams Park Zoo. And after that, I spent about 15 years working in multiple zoos around the country in a variety of different um, positions like animal care and conservation and education. I'm currently on the, I'm an advisor to the Conservation Education Committee. I'm a member of the Professional Development Committee. And I would have to say for my favorite bear, it's um, grizzlies. And I would, that has come since I became obsessed with the Fat Bear Week mm. competition last year, um, the National Park Service, uh, Fish and Wildlife, one of those groups. And it's just incredible to, to watch how large those bears get, their social dynamics, their personalities. And so I got hooked and um, never going back. Awesome. And Katie, what about you? Sure. Yeah, I'm Katie Mannion. I am the Curator of Education at the National Aviary, which is located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, my first job was actually as the part-time school programs instructor at the Maryland Zoo in Baltimore. Um, that was about 20 years ago at this point. And I just kind of held on saying yes anytime anybody needed help with just about anything until I, I got a full-time job and then have been spending the past 20 years. I was at the Maryland Zoo for quite a few years and then at um, the Bronx Zoo more recently before joining the aviary uh, a little over a year ago. And I would have to say that my favorite bear species, it, it's got to be the polar bear. I remember seeing them as a kid. It's like one of my clearest early zoo memories um, at my hometown zoo. And then back in Baltimore, we had a very charismatic pair when I started uh, there at the Maryland Zoo. And I was there sort of through, you know, we opened a new polar bear exhibit there and, and just all kinds of like all things polar bear. So they've always been a favorite for me. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And so today we're looking about a little bit broadly about conservation education. And to start us off, just because some of our listeners might not know what it is, can we talk about maybe like what is conservation education and why it's so important in zoos and aquariums? Yeah, sure. I can I can start on that. And I think maybe I'll start with with why it's so important. And in, in my opinion, I think that zoos and aquariums live a, a very unique place for conservation. They're at the intersection of animals and wildlife and people. And so in order to have the greatest impact for conservation in the future of animals and wild places, we um, have this almost responsibility to engage our audiences in education. And conservation education, I believe, is more about engagement than it is about education or awareness. And uh, so we have this opportunity to speak to our audiences about the value of the animals that they are getting to experience and then engage them in ways that they can take action to, to make a better world for those animals and, and the wild spaces. Yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree with that. It's sort of the most recent 
report that I could find from AZA shared that um, collectively AZA zoos and aquariums reached about 55 million people through education programs. And that was back in 2021. So if we think about the tremendous opportunity, and like Jen mentioned, the responsibility we have to you know educate our visitors and our communities about the animals that are in our care and, and use that opportunity to create a connection with those animals, there, there's often a very sort of emotional response right? Whenever we see an animal in a zoo, a lot of times we're like, ah, oh, right? Like I love polar bears. And that's, that's a really great opportunity then to kind of take that emotional connection and inspire people to take the next step in terms of, you know, sharing what actions they can take to help protect animals in the wild. I absolutely love that. And I, I know with the way education has been in zoos over the past 20 years, it hasn't always been that strong engagement transformative priority or I don't know, priority is probably not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? Like there hasn't been the push and the way that conservation and education has come together over the last five to 10 years has been really inspiring. Just like you guys have both been talking about. It's just been really inspiring with the way that we are seeking those bigger engagement, looking for actions and conservation actions and way that our guests can join us in taking those actions is it's really inspiring the way I've seen education evolve within AZA. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the evolution of the way that we engage our audiences has been really exciting. I think that the days of just presenting information and expecting people to be changed because they know what we know uh, is fading. And so now we're really leaning into the ways of authentically engaging with our audiences to take on kind of the more complexities of human nature, of conservation, of, you know, all of the challenges that we're facing. And so I think we see that that spectrum now been great at awareness and education, but now we're starting to kind of use those principles of conservation psychology to really empower audiences to take action on behalf of, of the animals we all care about. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've all mentioned some really great examples of the way that conservation education and zoos and aquariums have shifted over the years. Are there any examples that you could provide of what conservation education in zoos looks like today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, so I mean, I think conservation education can look like so many different things, right? Every every audience is different. Every facility is a little bit different. And so I'd say educators by nature tend to be very creative, right? We're always trying to come up with innovative new ways to engage our audiences and our visitors. So conservation education could be something as simple as an interactive element at an exhibit or, you know, a sign sharing some information um, at the National Aviary. We have a program that's that's kind of all about food waste. And a lot of people don't realize that household food waste is one of the largest contributors to sort of overall food waste globally. Um, and so that's that's a place where a lot of us individually, you know, depending on how we manage like our shopping and the way we store our food can have a really big impact on wildlife because it affects agriculture and pollution and right sort of like all the all the effects that kind of compound you know it was as simple as we put an insert in our map that is all about the ways that that we can take individual action to reduce food waste in conjunction with a little we have it's called a trash bot um it's like a smart trash can and it will actually sort your materials into like recycling compost trash 
So it's kind of just a cool way to engage visitors. So that's like a really simple way. But I know there are organizations out there that are doing like full scale, like community engagement efforts where they're doing like local habitat restoration, planting schoolyard pollinator gardens, doing, you know, local like river and stream cleanups and things like that. There's a huge gamut and a huge variety of educational opportunities out there. I think that's a really good point, Katie, is that when we think often of education in zoos and aquariums, we think of what's happening kind of in our own facilities or even within our own backyards and neighborhoods. But conservation education also is really important in the areas that the species that we work with live. And so that's when we are trying to affect change. We need to be really intentional about who we are engaging with. I think also we've seen a change or a shift towards trying to first identify the change or the impact that we want to see through our program, through that conservation education initiative, and then working our way backwards as to what activities, what modes, what methods are going to be most effective to achieve that impact. So a lot of times in the past, you might see that we're going to do, you know, a preschool program and we're going to read this book and we're going to sing this song, but we want to kind of, what are we trying to work towards? What is this on the spectrum? of and and then kind of identify how to best achieve that. Yeah, that's a really good point because if you think about it, a zoo guest is anywhere from newborn to 90 and plus and beyond. And so that's one thing that zoos have, again, in this, the way zoo education, AZA education has continued to innovate, like you mentioned, Katie, of how engaging our guests and our program participants, no matter where they're at and Mm -hmm. finding those different tactics has been so important and has been so, in my mind, revolutionary when it comes to zoo education, because we have those guests that are coming to the zoo and coming to our facilities that want to know what's going on. They want us to tell them, you know, they're looking for information, they're looking for things to do and being able to find all the different ways that we can to engage. It's just really, really cool. And I love that you brought that up too, Lisa, because I think another exciting opportunity that zoos and aquariums have is to really engage with people at all stages in their life and build an environmental identity in our audiences. So that newborn that comes to the zoo with grandparents or their mom or their dad or that person in their life, hopefully will come then to preschool, then we'll come to zoo camp, and then we'll be a teen volunteer, and then we'll be, you know, a docent. And so if we're able to really engage them where they are through their lives, you can have a huge impact on on them as individuals. Definitely. And again, I think that's just one thing that makes zoo education just so extra special. So getting into a little more specifics of AZA education programs, can you give us just kind of a rundown of what the education advisor slash specialist, so we have education advisors, we have education specialists within AZA programs. Now, how did it get started? Yeah, I can I can start that with that because um, honestly, we just recently learned of the depth of the history of the Education Advisor program, and it actually was started more than 30 years ago in 1992 by a incredible human and educator, Terry O'Connor, and she was working with and actually still works with 30 years later the Bat Tag, and just really loved the relationship she was building with those animal program leaders within the Bat Tag and. Started started to kind of encourage other people within the AZA community to form those same relationships and to achieve better things together. And so she built that program for quite a while. And interestingly enough, too, the the Bear Tag was one of the early adopters. And so initially had their first education advisor back also in the early 1990s. 
Jen and I are both currently advisors to and are former members of the Conservation Education Committee of AZA. So the CEC is the committee that kind of oversees the Education Advisor Program. And just the, the way the CEC kind of operates is that every member takes a role in a different initiative or different project. So we, as sort of newer members, Jen had taken on the role of the the champion, sort of the lead for the Education Advisors Initiative. And I joined her in that work just as somebody who was kind of personally very interested in the opportunity that education advisors, sort of the opportunity that they have to really connect our visitors and our audiences with like authentic conservation work, right? That's that's being done in the field and, and the science behind it. So we we took that over and you know Jen, like I'm just I'm just gonna shout shout Jen out here for a second. She like does not do anything halfway, right? You know, as we started digging into this, we started talking about it. We're like, this program is great, but it felt a little bit like a missed opportunity in some ways. I think there were a lot of people that didn't know about it. There were a lot of animal programs that that either weren't aware of it or didn't really understand what an education advisor could kind of bring to that role. So we sort of dug in and we're like, okay, what can we do to make this program that's so wonderful? What can we do to make it even better? Which started a long process of uh, a lot of listening, surveys, talking to current education advisors, talking to animal program leaders, talking to people who wanted to be education advisors but weren't sure how to get involved, and really finding out sort of what was happening in that space. One of the things we found was that people who were working, who had, who had kind of organically formed small teams or even just like collaborative pairs, tended to be a little more, like just kind of more successful. They were able to get more done. And that is what led to the formation of that education specialist role, right? We realized that the education advisor who's sort of overseeing that kind of bigger picture, strategic planning, developing the goals for the educational work of the animal program is still only one person, right? And it's better if you have a team to kind of get that work done. So that was one of the outcomes of like all that listening and all that work was we developed that education specialist role, rolled all of that out to the education advisor community and to the broader AZA community at large, and then implemented a couple of other processes that we thought would help to improve the program. So that included fostering a sense of community among all education advisors. Right. So we started doing things like quarterly conference calls with education advisors that are just an opportunity for us to all kind of chat with each other, but also doing a little bit of professional development. So we've done sessions on strategic planning and evaluation to kind of help build those skills that the advisor is bringing to the table. We started doing an onboarding call whenever new education advisors started. So we would meet with the, you know, anybody from the animal program or or AZA conservation program that, you know, usually the program leader, sometimes a couple of people and that new education advisor, just to kind of help them set expectations and get aligned on goals and also give them some tips on like, if you're not totally sure how to get started, here are some projects, education advisors that are just joining the team tend to be successful at, and it can kind of like kickstart that relationship. So there were some really great things that I think kind of came out of all of that listening and all of that work. It's been a delight working with Jen on this. She's definitely like been the one who's kind of pushed it forward, even when it felt tough. 
Um, and, and I, I don't know about her, but I'm like, I'm very proud of, of the outcome so far with it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And also in, in having worked with Katie. So I don't think we would have achieved it without the two of us. I think we uh, were a great team. I think we have uh, very complementary kind of skills and um, we worked really well together to, to kind of get us to where we are today. I'm realizing though, I think at the core of it, I don't know that we fully described what an education advisor or an education specialist does with, with these programs. So, you know, education advisors, they are professional educators that work really intimately alongside animal program leaders for TAGs. So the Tax on Advisory Groups, SSPs, or SAFE programs, and uh, to set kind of the strategic direction, goals, objectives, strategies for uh, achieving their outcomes through awareness, education, and engagement strategies. And then once those, the education advisor has worked with the animal program leaders to kind of set that trajectory, identify those goals, then they will bring on this team of education specialists. So like Emily's joining Lisa here with the bear tag to help to produce things like this podcast as a part of their strategy. And um, so that team team of education specialists can be from all walks of life. So we've got zookeepers, we have marketing professionals, we have educators. Uh, it's it's a, a diversity of experiences kind of brought to the table to actually execute that strategy. Also wanted to celebrate, we are at a point where we have about 160 education advisors and education specialists working together with animal program leaders to, to achieve these conservation outcomes. That's amazing. I didn't realize that there was such a large community of advisors and specialists. That's really incredible. The journey from the 90s to where it is today, just seeing the growth of that and being able to kind of celebrate, like you said, how far the program has come and how many people have provided input and provided guidance to it to really help shape and make it where it is today. Are there any specific projects from any tags or SSPs or safes that you know that have been really impactful on their animal program? Well, I'll start and kind of give a shout out to Katie. Uh, Katie is an education specialist with the African Penguin Safe Program, and they just rolled out a Penguin Hero initiative, and it encourages people to take a pledge to do one, two, or three actions that they've identified that are directly correlated with threats that are facing penguins. And I think it's an incredible initiative. It is one that is really grounded in exactly what we've talked about throughout this podcast, where the identified the impact that they want to see and are engaging the community and actually taking action that means something um, both to that's relevant to the the people as individuals but also will make a difference for penguins um, so that's a new initiative and um, I'm I'm really excited about that um, but Katie you just recently facilitated a, a panel of some of our education specialists celebrating some of the other work that they've done do you want to give those examples Sure. Yeah. So yeah, so the Prosimian tag is doing some really great work right now with aggregating all of the educational resources that are already out there and building a database around it so that that work is easy for others to find and utilize. So that is something that, you know, I think a lot of educated education advisors kind of think about when they get started, you know, we're representing the entire AZA community. There are tons of brilliant educators already doing great work. So how can we kind of pull that together as a resource so that it can be shared with other educators? Um, that is something that African Penguin Safe is also trying to do. I think the Prosimian tag, though, really has kind of taken it to the next level with that database. I would love to see that be used as a model for, for other programs toolkits and celebration of the particular taxas or species 
Awareness Day um, is also something that's very popular. So I know the, Jen, sorry, is it the Otter SSP? I can never remember if it's SSP or TAG. It's a Otter Education Advisory Group. So it's a few different Otter SSPs that work together. That's why I can't remember because it's neither. <laughs> yeah, so they've they've just released um, like an Otter educational pack that's just like tremendous, right? Like full of information about otters. You know, something that an educator at a zoo or aquarium that has otters can just kind of pull that uh, and, and get that information and those resources and use it for Otter Awareness Day, but also for like, you know, if you want to develop a program um, or like a tabletop activity or something like that about otters. And there, there are a lot of those toolkits out there. So actually an initiative that Jen and I sort of hope to work on next is finding a way that as the CEC, you know, representatives of the, the overall education advisor program, can, is there a way that we can develop a resource where we can sort of make these like all of these great education materials more widely available to people, not necessarily widely available, but sort of more centralized and, and accessible so that people know about them and can find them. Fantastic. As an education advisor, that would be amazing. So, <laughs> um, and I love that you guys are just always looking for ways to keep innovating and keep, you know, moving these types of things forward with, um, with all the work that you're doing. So we really appreciate it. We appreciate the work all the education advisors do. Absolutely. Talking about projects, Lisa, would you like to talk about some of the projects that the BearTag education team has going on, some of the initiatives that we're working on? Sure. So this podcast that you're all listening to and have been listening to, thank you for hanging in with us for our first season, um, is one, one of our biggest. We also have social media accounts on Facebook and Instagram. So look up Bear Tag on Facebook and Instagram and you will find us there. Um, we'll also be working with all of our SSP coordinators. So the Bear Tag is not as big as some other tags, like say an ungulate tag with hooved animals. There's a lot. Um, so with bears, we have some amazing SSP coordinators that um, we're going to be meeting with this year and just really kind of honing in on that messaging, especially the conservation messaging for their, for all of these species so that we can translate that and transfer that into amazing toolkits. And like Katie and Jen have been talking about, you know, this is a perfect timing for something like this, at least for <laughs> the way we're considered, because we'll be building those things for, for bears, for AZA bear institutions as well. So there's a lot coming down the pipe this year. We're really excited to, to work on everything. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's going to be really great. And I'm really excited to see what all our future projects hold. I think it's going to be really, really great opportunities to be able to celebrate bears and kind of create that community, both within our uh, zoo educator and our zoo community, as well as the larger community with the public, which I think is really important. And kind of touching on that for our last question. What are some ways that maybe members of the public or listeners who might not be a part of the zoo community could take part in conservation education in their everyday lives? Yeah, so I would invite anyone that's interested in animals, that loves animals, to just really dive into learning more about any animal that they are interested in. And um, you could do that through your local zoo and aquarium. You can do that through a nature center. You can do that just by taking a walk in your neighborhood and kind of seeing what animals are out there and around you. And there are podcasts like this that also dive right into other science topics. It's really going to be about what you are most interested in and, and finding a community of people that are also excited about those things. 
I will also say that if any of your listeners are people that think that they could contribute to some of these education advisor and specialist teams, even if they're not working at a zoo or aquarium, some of our education specialists are professionals that still have a lot of skills and things to offer to these teams. So we've got a few teachers that work on some of our programs. We have some members of non-AZA accredited nature centers. And so you can absolutely still be involved if you have something that you think you could bring to the team. Um, So definitely reach out to us if you want to learn more about that. I agree totally with all of that. And I would also say like, look around in your community, right? A lot of times we can make the most impact by working with our local communities on issues that are happening right in our backyard, right? So I love visiting the zoo and the aviary and learning about animals all over the world. But I might like an action that I might take at home is I I try to be really mindful this time of year when it's time to start planting. You know, I have a little like backyard patio. I have some planters out there. I I try to focus on native plants, right? It's just something that I get hummingbirds, which is really cool because I live in a pretty urban neighborhood. So, you know, things like that, that individually we can all do to help support the wildlife that's that's right in our backyards. And then working together as a community, we can elevate that impact even more. Yeah. And I think too, just sharing it out with people in your lives, you know, post about what you're doing on social media or bringing up in conversations with friends and family, really taking the time to share out the work that you're doing, because that could be a really great point of inspiration for others and help create an an entire movement, which I think is really amazing. Yeah, I think that sometimes when we think about the actions that we take individually, it may seem really small. So Katie is planting native plants and maybe that seems really small, but if her entire neighborhood is planting native plants in their backyard as well, it creates this thriving native habitat for the animals that might want to stop by. So collective action is really important. And the more you can help your friends and family join you in taking those small actions, the bigger impact and difference that you can make. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. I think that's so important. And I think with that, our episode comes to a close. I think that we hit on a lot of really, really great topics and conversations. So thank you both so much, Jen and Katie, for being here with us to be able to talk about all that. Thank you for having us. And thank you for what you're doing um, to really bring awareness to bears. This podcast is a phenomenal idea, very innovative and new and exciting. And I can't wait to see what else you do. Yeah, same. Thank you. And I really look forward to listening to the series. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here and just sharing these insights. And, you know, our goal, uh, Emily and I, was just to get more of those insights with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums and just how things work and what is it, you know, just really wanted to focus on on that for this first season. And you guys just did an incredible job sharing everything there is about the conservation education. So, Emily, I can't believe we have six episodes. This is crazy. I know. Yeah, it feels it just flew by. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Thank you so much to everybody out there who's taken the time to listen to the podcast. If you'd like to stay updated for the future, potentially a second season, please make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook as BearTag and on Instagram at AZA BearTag. If you have any questions or comments or things you want to share, you can reach out to us over email at azabeartag at gmail.com or check out our website at beartag.org. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.